Oh God, we worship you in the beauty of holiness. We don't invite you here. You're already here. You say, come to me. This is my house. And it's an honor to be in your house. We want today's teaching to be clear. This teaching can make a major difference in the journey that stretches before us all. So let it be clear. Hide this. Hide me, hide us all in the presence of the Spirit of Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen. So I'm driving down the road with Karen, and we're looking for an address we have not been to before. And I'm remarking to her, the Lord must have invented GPSs. Isn't that true? How did we ever find an address before? Maps? Forget them. GPS. Punch that address in and in one mile turn right. We finally got tired of the woman. You know, her voice never changes. If you notice that, it's always the same. We said, give it to us in the British accent so we now have it in, the, in a quarter mile turn right. <laughs> and so we love turning to a British instructor. One of you dumb Americans, please. <laughs> so I don't know how Abraham could handle the moment when God comes to him. This voice in the dark, no GPS, no map, no instructions. Just get up and go. Take all of your earthly possessions, your belongings, and your family, put them on top of a camel, and go to the land I will show you. I happen to find this this line notable for its sheer, gutsy, radical faith. Don't look it up. But I want to put the line on the screen. You remember, it's Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. And he, Abraham, went out not knowing where he was going. I love that. Karen says, I drive that way. Not knowing where he's going. But I have a GPS. Abraham has nothing but sheer gutsy radical faith. That's all he's got. We pick the story right up now. Not in Hebrews. For the book of Genesis, this is our theme book for late spring and summer. Students are gone, you're here, life goes on, and we're in the book of Genesis. Put the title slide up, please. This is a series entitled Genesis of Love. I'm really excited, as I told you last week as we began the series. I'm excited about the series because a great team of pastors are going to be preaching this series. They're all preachers, and it's my honor to be associated with them. And so they've given me the first few out out of the block Genesis of Love, today's teaching, Secret of the Rock Pile. Yesterday's teaching, uh, last Sabbath's teaching, rather, was Secret of the Blueprint. Next Sabbath's teaching will be Secret of the Twinkling Stars. Now, next Sabbath, you come to First Church, it will be Andrews Academy Baccalaureate. And we have Arlen Drew, one of the mothers of the, of the graduates, and she's going to do a fine job. She's a graduate of the Theological Seminary. So she'll be preaching first service, but I'm going to be here second service, so if you're around, come on back to uh, second service And we'll look at the secret of the twinkling stars. The whole series is about relationships. Relationships. That's why we're glad we have two women preachers who are going to be helping us with relationships. Relationships in the home. That would be family and marriage. Relationships in the community. Strangers, neighbors, and friends. Relationships on the job. Employer-employee relationships. All kinds of relationships. That'll be our focus in this series. So, Abraham comes front and center now. Chapter 12. Find Genesis chapter 12. Oh, I need to, can you put the title slide back up one more uh, time, please, uh, gentlemen? Uh, Our website is where the study guide is going to be. And in a few moments, we'll get to the study guide. But those of you who are watching on television, we're delighted to have you. 
We'll put, that, uh, we'll put that website on the screen right now. You see it, www.pmchurch.tv. You can get the entire series. Whichever pastor's preaching it, that'll be archived right there. Genesis of Love, and there'll be a study guide for you. If you go today, those of you live streaming, boy, those of you in Guyana, we are so glad to have you. I had no idea that you would be joining us. We're delighted you're here. What a beautiful baptism that uh, we, you have shared with us. We praise God for the Williams. So you go to the website, you get the study guide. Uh, ushers, this would, be the very, this would be the good time, Nobby, to just get those. He, say, he holds them up. He says, Dwight, look, don't forget, I've got to get these out. So put your hand up. If you came in with one family and, uh, you know, a whole family with one worship bulletin, we want everybody to have it. You're going to want some of the quotations here. This will be, there's some specifics, how-to in this one. You want this one. It has how-to in it up in the balcony. And here, we're delighted to have you. All right, let's go. Genesis chapter 12. Oh, and one other little introductory word. I'm doing my part in this series from the Common English Bible. Brand new. Just came out at the end of 2011. And I am finding it a refreshing read. By the way, let me tell you, anytime you want to get into the Word and you want a little different feel for the Word, change your translation. Don't always read from the same translation. It will give you variety. It will pick up your spirits. You'll see another perspective and you'll be blessed. So that's what will be on the screen, common English. You didn't bring a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. It's the New King James Version. Let's go. Genesis 12, verse 1. And the Lord said to Abraham, I'm going to say Abraham. I know that there's a name change, but we all know him as Abraham. And the Lord said to Abraham, leave your land, your family, and your father's household for the land that I will show you. Verse 2, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name respected and you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I will curse all the families of earth. Now, last week we noted in Genesis 1 and 2 that God is huge on relationships. Notice this, very relational, right off the bat with Abraham. He could have said, all the people on earth. No, 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 no. God says, I want to talk about relationships. Everything's in the context of relationships. All the families of earth. I like that. All the families of earth will be blessed because of you. Hit the pause button right there. Did you catch that? Leave your, how to to put it in the common common English, leave your land, your family, and your father's household. Because let's be honest, guys, come on, let's be honest. There are times, you know this, when you have to make a radical cut even with with your own flesh and blood. You know that. The values that you live for, they reject. The faith that you embrace, they poo-poo. The truth that you stand for, they snicker at or scoff. Let's be honest. This is the painful part of relationships. There are times, in fact, I wish you'd jot this down, please. There are times when you have to make a radical cut. Put it on the screen, please. There are times when you have to make a radical cut with even your own flesh and blood. But God says, hey, listen, not to worry. Never mind, keep your pen moving. God promises, you obey me, I'll bless you. I don't care if your whole family leaves you, I will bless you. That's a major, that's a major promise right there. Let's read it again, verse 3. God says, I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. 
Isn't that something? Sheer, radical, gutsy faith is contagious, apparently. When you take a stand in your family, in the, in the circle of your relationships, be it on the job, in the home, who, it's at school, at play, who cares? When you take a stand, it's contagious. Others get blessed. Not just, not just, not just in your little circle of, of, of your family, but in the circle of your community, in the circle of your city, in the circle of your country, in the circle of the world. The whole world would be blessed by your gutsy, radical faith, Abraham. I'll bless the whole world. So this isn't just about Abraham. This is about you and me, too. I like this. But this is Patriarchs and Prophets on the screen. You'll have to fill this in. You have it in your study guide. It was no light test. This call to get up and leave your whole tribe behind, leave your family, and go to some place you've never been. It was no easy test that was thus brought upon Abraham. No small sacrifice that was required of him. There were strong ties... To bind him to his family, to his country rather, his family and his home. But he did not hesitate to obey the call. That's why he was called the friend of God. Thank you, Pastor Jose, for inserting that verse. That was a good reminder. He's the friend of God. He did not hesitate to obey the call. He had no question to ask concerning the land of promise. He didn't say, oh, listen, is the soil fertile? Is the climate healthful? No questions. Did he ask whether the country afforded agreeable surroundings? Will it afford opportunities for amassing wealth? Not a question to God. God says, you go, he goes. God has spoken and his servant must obey. Would you write that in, please? He speaks, we obey. You'd be the happiest, he said, if you do. God's spoken, his servant must obey. And then I love this line, the happiest place on earth for Abraham was the place where God would have him to be. Isn't that good? The happiest place on earth. Question. Question. Hey, are you in the place where God would have you to be? Are you in the place where God would have you to be? If you are, it's the happiest place on earth for you. If you are not, it's the worstest place on earth for you. Just ask Jonah. It's awful. If you're where God doesn't want you, it's awful. But if you're where God wants you, it's the happiest place on earth. Karen and I spent some soul-searching days and nights this spring wrestling with God over what could have been a life-changing decision. And I tell you what, having just been through this, I can tell you, you have to ask yourself, is this voice I'm hearing, is it really my voice? Maybe it's someone else's voice. How do I know this is God's voice? It takes time. Trust me, it takes much prayer to sort it out. What is it, God, you want me to do? Boy, I tell you what, that's when you wish you had a GPS, a God positioning system. Turn right tomorrow. Turn left next week. Some of you right now are wrestling in prayer over what to do. You don't know what to do. You're wondering, God, what is your will for my life? What do you want from me? you just got to keep asking. You've got to keep talking to him. He'll make it clear. He did to us. Uh, Patriarchs and Prophets goes on. Put it on the screen here. This will be helpful. Many are still tested, as was Abraham. They do not hear the voice of God speaking directly from the heavens, but he calls them. Do you hear the voice of God? I didn't. No, but how does, what is, how does he do it? He calls us by the teachings of his word and by the events of his providence. What's been happening in your life? How has God been leading you in the past? There is a trajectory that if you will just trace that tra- trajectory and connect the dots, you will see whether this advances the trajectory or shoots you down another way. Stay with the trajectory that God has you on. 
Through, if, through the providence, you'll know. Keep reading. I'm changing this all to you and me. You may be required to abandon a career that promises wealth and honor, to leave congenial and profitable associations, and to separate from your family, to enter upon what appears to be only a path of self-denial, hardship, and sacrifice. This can't be the right way because I'm really going to have to sacrifice. If we go this way, God, we won't have the home we have. We won't have, we won't have the accoutrements we have. God says, don't ask me those questions. Just ask me if you can hear my voice in the dark. I will speak to you, and I will guide you. And if you're true to me, every family that you know will be blessed because of you. The whole earth will be blessed by your example of radical, gutsy, sheer faith. Wow. God has a work. Keep reading. God has a work for us to do. But a life of ease and the influence of friends and family would hinder the development of the very traits essential for its accomplishment. God calls us away sometimes from human influences and help. He leads us to feel the need of his help and to depend upon him alone that he may reveal himself to us, end quote. So what will you decide to do with what God is wrestling with your soul over? What will you decide to do? What did Abraham decide? Very clear what Abraham decided. Once it was clear, it was the voice of God. Notice Abraham, verse 4, And so Abraham left just as the Lord told him. And Lot went with him. Now Abraham was 75 years old. No spring chicken here. 75 years old. And he left Haran. Verse 5, And Abraham, Abraham took his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot and all their possessions and those who became members of their household in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. We have no idea how, how large the household of Abraham was. We do know three people by name. We know there's Abraham, Sarah, and Lot. We can probably guess the name of, the fourth, of a fourth person, Eleazar, Abraham's lifelong and trusted steward and, and personal friend. But other than that, we do not know. It's interesting. Prophets of Kings says that Abraham was surrounded by a numerous body of servants and retainers. He was not... He was not a poor man, let's be honest. He was, he was very well-to-do. And by the way, it's okay to be very well-to-do when you follow God. He's very well-to-do. In fact, Patriarchs and Prophets goes on and tells us that Abraham and Sarah were witnessing in that city and others turned from polytheism to monotheism, the, the God of Abraham and Sarah, and they actually joined Abraham and Sarah. So the, the, the household grew. In fact, two chapters later, get this, Abraham has to, an enemy attacks, and he has to muster up an army, 318 men in his little household. <laughs> We're talking about a village. So, this caravan that comes winding, winding down the western end of the Fertile Crescent, pretty significant caravan. Let's read it again, verse 5. So Abraham took his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot and all of their possessions and those who became members. See, some joined them there, became members of their household. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And when they arrived in Canaan, notice this, verse 6. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the sacred place at Shechem at the Oak of Moreh. The Canaanites lived in the land at the time. Now verse 7. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I give this land to your descendants. So Abraham built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. Abraham, welcome to your new home. I give it all to you. And Abraham looks around. You mean this? We're talking bleak and barren, ladies and gentlemen. There is no Jerusalem. There's no Bethlehem, little town of. There is no Nazareth. 
There's no great governmental system ruling the land. There is no school district. There's no mighty temple. It's just barren, bleak Canaan cobbled together a handful of pagan tribes. That's all it is, a hodgepodge. Did you say this is the land you've promised? This is it. No wonder Abraham makes it into the Bible's Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith chapter, Hebrews 11. You remember the line? By faith, Abraham and Sarah set out looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. They never got to that city because there was no city. They just kept looking. Wow. By faith. And it was because it was by faith that Abraham now does something that he will be depicted doing five times in his short little biography here in Genesis. He erects a rock pile. He piles up some rocks. And you know what? It makes all the sense in the world for you and me to make a rock pile right now. So let's do that. Let's make a rock pile right here. Let's find out what Abraham's about. Let's put a rock pile here. The four strongest men in the Pioneer Memorial Church are walking out this door right now. Thank you, gentlemen. Just grab that tarp. We've got rocks. Sherry Davis, executive assistant, found some beautiful rocks. Oh, so what does Abraham do when, when he gets to his new home? First thing he does... Oh, gentlemen, right there. Yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, lovely. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. What does Abraham do? Hey, listen, I've been to Palestine. I've been all over Palestine. Trust me. I could not believe it. No kidding. It hit me. This place is just covered with rocks. No, seriously, it's just covered. So Abraham immediately starts getting some rocks. What's he up to? Well, he's, gonna, he's just going to make a rock pile. And what's interesting is that these rock piles would remain. He didn't take them down and put them on a camel and travel to the next place. You kidding? You don't need to. They're already there waiting for him. And so he would take those rocks right there in the middle of camp. Everybody else is pitching a tent. Whoa. He says, where is Eleazar when you need him? (laughs) He would pile up those rocks. Once he got it to stay, what's going on here? Why is it that five times in his short biography, we have this man of God, this friend of God, who builds a rock pile? What's he up to? Let's look at the next verse. This is verse 7 we just read. We talked about that. Let's read verse 8. From there he traveled toward the mountains east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Why are you doing that, Abraham? And worshipped in the Lord's name. That's it right there. Those rock piles that began to dot the Palestinian landscape from Father Abraham are family altars for family worship. In fact, let's put, it on the, let's put it on your study guide right now, will you? Why this rock pile? Ah, they are altars of family worship. Write that down, please. They are altars. These rock piles are altars of family worship. Patriarchs and prophets, let's put those words on the screen again. You'll have to fill these in. Abraham, the friend of God, set us a worthy example. His was a life of prayer. I love that. His was a life of prayer. 
Wherever Abraham pitched his tent, close beside it was set up his altar, calling all within the encampment to morning and evening sacrifice. What's that mean? That's morning and evening worship. Right in, in the brackets there, the word worship. That's what they're doing. They're having morning and evening worship. And when the camp picks up and he moves on, as a nomad will have to do, that pile stays. Now watch this. I thought this was, this was something. When his tent was removed, the altar remained. In following years, there were those among the roving Canaanites who received instruction from Abraham. Now hold on. And whenever one of these came to that altar... On that bleak landscape, he knew who had been there before him. And when he pitched his tent, he repaired the altar and there worshipped the living God of Abraham. Isn't Isn't that majestic? Not only does he bless his family, but because he has family altars, the community gets blessed. The country gets blessed. My. Oh, my. Rock piles. The secret of the rock pile. Family worship, where Abraham and Sarah and Lot and Eleazar and all of that very diverse household, when, where they would gather morning and evening to call upon the name of God, to worship the Lord God of this universe. Rock piles, and even the neighborhood comes. So here's the question Do you have a rock pile in your house? Do you have a family altar in your home? So, Dwight, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just by myself. I, I don't need an altar. Wrong. Jacob. Jacob, one early morning, erects a one-stone altar and worships God. So, one person, family altar. Oh, Dwight, they're just the two of us. We're married. Great. It's perfect. Two people, one altar. Dwight, I got three. I got five. We got ten in our family. Ideal. Do you have a rock pile in your house? Do you have a family altar in your home? Let's be honest. Family worship has gotten a bum rap in America. Family worship has gotten a bum rap in Adventist homes. Television, we'll watch it by the hour. Worship, oh, Daddy, do we have to have worship? Oh, Daddy, please, we don't have to, do we? Donna Habenick, our own Donna Habenick child psychologist. She's written a book entitled How to Help Your Child Really Love Jesus. It's a book we give to every family that brings an infant or a child in dedication to Christ. We give that an autographed book. In the book, she makes this observation, very helpful observation about family worship. You'll need to fill it in. It's in your study guide. We'll put it on the screen for you. During the first three to four years, I thought this was helpful. During the first three to four years, young children are much more feeling than thinking creatures. I hear a lot of squirming children right now. Listen, Mom. Listen, Papa. They're much more feeling than thinking. Keep reading. Feelings are always front and center for children, they, especially young children. They experience life through their emotions. Keep reading. Such feelings develop into attitudes. Attitudes toward God, toward prayer, toward worship and the church. Now, listen carefully. Papa and Mama, young children sense our own feelings and attitudes and catch religion from the home and the church. They don't read it in a book. They just catch it. When you look forward to going to church and joyfully participate in the services, Donna Habenick, the child psychologist, writing, your child will sense your joy and feel happy too. 
Now, the flip side is just the truth. Here we go, and you have to fill this in. A long, boring family worship. I want to make sure you get those two words in. Long, boring family worship. A long, boring family worship that requires Junior to sit still for a long time listening to things he doesn't understand will probably produce negative feelings that will develop into negative attitudes toward the whole idea of family worship. If we're not doing family worship right, our kids are developing not just feelings, it's the precursor to attitudes. So when they're three and four, it's vital time. Critically important time. So, what's the point of all this that we just read from Donna Habenick? Well, the, the family worship, here's the point. The fa- family worship needs to be the opposite of long and boring. So, what's the opposite of long and boring? Let's put it on the screen. Family worship, family worship needs to be short and engaging. What's the opposite of long and boring? Short and engaging. What are you talking about, Dwight? Well, I have a little experience in this, so may I tell you? In other words, in other words... One or two energetic songs from Sabbath school. Let me tell you something, Papa. Once you learn the songs, you'll never forget them. The trees are gently swaying, swaying. Sing it in your sleep. Swaying with Jesus in the family. Happy, happy. I mean, you got it. It's in your DNA. You have to sing with the children. What? You can't. Oh, God, our help in Oh, terrible. Please, don't do that to your kids. I know it's your favorite Isaac Watts hymn. Forget it. With Jesus in the family, they want to sing what they can understand. One or two songs, that's what I'm saying. One or two songs that the children can sing. A short story from a, Bible, from a child's Bible book, like My Bible Friends. Kirk and uh, Chrissy grew up with My Bible Friends. And I'm telling you, we've got some grandparents here. You want to do a favor to your little uh, grandkids, make sure that your children have My Bible Friends. Replete with pictures, easy to understand language, and the pictures now become embedded in your reading of the Bible. It's a great way to go. And by the way, notice what I put in parentheses, not a video. No video for worship. No video for worship. What are you, what are you Dwight, uh, down on technology? Of course not. But video simply implants into a neutral mind whatever video chooses to implant, by the way, which is the truth of all videos, whether they're religious or not. It implants it with no interaction. It just, on the hard disk, on the hard disk. There's no, there's no, there's no repertoire with, the, with, with what is happening. It's just, no videos. You want to read a story, and so that that little mind pictures the story. She sees David reach down for the five stones. He hears the belly roar of Goliath. You want the brain to do the story picturing. The picture boy in the, in the brain. No videos for worship. So what do we have here? We have one or two energetic songs, a short story, and prayer together. Keep writing. We're not talking about 30 long and boring minutes, ladies and gentlemen. Ten energetic, happy minutes. What's not to like about that? Ten minutes. Don't tell me you're too busy. God has dropped that child into your lap and you're too busy for the child? Give me a break. Wrong home, God. Can you find another who will care for this little one? You have that child as a gift. 
straight from heaven. I don't care how you got the child. You have the child from God. Now treat it, treat him, treat her as that precious, that priceless gift who must know Jesus. Must know Jesus. So, you do that morning and evening with your children. You have your little family altar morning and evening, ten minutes, two songs, one story, and a short prayer. You do that pile of rocks, family altar, family worship every morning and evening. You've got them. Here's good counsel from the little book, The The Adventist Home. Put it on the screen. I think you have it in your study guide. As soon as the little ones are intelligent to understand, the moment the child can begin to understand, you know, concepts, movement, as soon as the little ones are intelligent to understand, parents should tell them the story of Jesus, that the little ones may drink in the precious truths concerning the baby of Bethlehem. Impress upon your children's minds sentiments of simple spirituality that are adapted to their years and ability. Make it fit. Bring your children in prayer to Jesus for he... I love this. Listen. For he has made it possible for them to learn religion as they learn to frame the words of the language. Whatever your mother tongue is, the tongue in the home, whatever that mother tongue is, the moment that child is starting to lisp the words that you and your wife speak, that child is now open to hear the stories of God. The moment they can begin to speak, their minds now can absorb the truth of eternity. Boy, we just treated these kids. Ah, they'll get to it. We'll get to them in academy. We'll get to them in college. Let me tell you something. We've got 3,000 uh, students on this campus at the university when they're here. If they don't get it early, it is like pulling teeth to get it to them now. They're gone so I can say this. If they don't get it early, it's like pulling teeth to get them to get it now. You have to start when they're young. I don't care what's happened before today. It's a new life. We just began a new chapter. You're in. God says, let's go. It's not too late. It's perfect. Uh, You say, I'm not a child any longer. I'm not going to do these little happy, happy home stuff. Well, you don't have to do that. But the same principle works for uh, for older older people. I'm talking group worship now. Short and energizing, short and engaging, short and energizing, short and engaging. What's that mean? A couple songs you want to sing, a short story or a reading from the Bible or a devotional book. Say, I don't know if you've heard of this book called The Chosen. (laughs) The Chosen. That's C-H-O-S-E-N. At Amazon.com, that book is waiting for you right now. A little attractive illustration to set up a spiritual theme for the day, for the group. Why not? You want somebody to help you? Let the book help. It's called The Chosen. Whatever you use, whatever you use. Short, energizing, engaging. Now, private prayer, private worship is something different. And I'll just put this on the screen for you because we're not going to talk about private worship. But you go to our screen, www.pmchurch.tv, and you'll see a flashing banner up there, and, that, and it will include that, that very picture, a new way to pray. You click on there, and there'll be a 20-minute teaching for you to how to pray privately, to have your private worship. That'll be all the help you need. But this rock pile represents family. This is family. This is a family altar. This is for family worship. The old adage, ladies and gentlemen, the old adage is true. 
There's a lot more truth and poetry to this adage. In fact, say it out loud with me. The family that prays together. How's it go? Stays together. Let's say it one more time. The family that prays together stays together. Anecdotally, because that's all I can speak. I've watched families through the years as a, as a pastor. I can tell you, I have seen that little adage proven true. If your family does not have time to worship Christ during the week and you save it all, hopefully they get it at Sabbath school, hopefully there'll be a good sermon, hopefully that's enough to carry them for seven more days, I have seen it time and again and again and again. Families on the rocks, not the rock of a family altar, but the rocks of destruction, marriages. You talk to the, you talk to the couple, what, what went wrong? We quit praying. We quit having worship together. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not rocket science. This is divine science. Talk to me. Talk to me. Let me help you. I'll be the rock of your family. But you must ask me. I can't force myself on you. Wow. Does family worship mean you'll never make a mistake? I wish. (laughs) Poor Abraham, look at this. I'm just going to fly through this. This is the tail end of uh, chapter 12. There's a famine. This is verse 10. When a famine struck the land, Abraham went down to Egypt to live as an immigrant since the famine was so severe in the land. And just before getting to Egypt, he says, Hey, listen, Sarah, I know that you are a knockout. You are a beautiful woman, not only to me, but to every man we ever meet. I see their eyes. Sarah, this is what I need from you. I need you to say, when we get to Egypt, I don't want them knocking me off so they get you. I need you to say, I am the man's sister. Will you do that? Repeat after me. Well, she really is. She's a half-sister. They're same father, different mothers. So she's a half-sister. It's a half-lie. It's a, it's a half-truth. Then they leave me alone. Guess what? They went to Egypt. She told them, I'm his sister. They left Abraham alone. He's alone because they took Sarah with them. Pharaoh says, I want that woman in my hair. Bring her on. And God says, oh, no, you're not going to touch the woman of, of my promise. You're not going to touch her. And boom, plagues, a little precursor to 400 years Later, when the same Egypt gets similar plagues and plagues break out and Pharaoh goes ballistic when he finds out through the omens that the wife that he has is not a wife, is not a sister. She's she's the Hebrew's wife. Last last line of that uh, chapter. Pharaoh sends an armed guard to the border. He escorts Abraham and Sarah out of the land. Don't you ever come back. We'll be back in 400 years. Chapter 13, watch this. So now they're back. They're out, of, they're out of Egypt. Verse 1, chapter 13, Abraham went up from Egypt toward the arid southern plain with his wife, with everything he had, and with Lot. Now notice, Abraham was very wealthy in livestock, silver and gold. Abraham traveled, making and breaking camp from the arid southern plain to Bethel and to the sacred place there where he had first pitched his tent between Bethel and Ai. That is to the place where he had earlier built the altar. There he worshipped in the Lord's name. Back to the family altar. Pile of rocks. Nothing's changed. Once you make the commitment, that's what carries you through no matter what experience. Are you perfect now? Once you have family worship? No, you're not perfect. But can you imagine life if you didn't have family worship? Do the worship. Build a pile of rocks. Erect your family altar. Is Lot perfect because they have family worship? No. You know the story in chapter 13, don't you? 
Lot is now becoming independently wealthy. The shepherds of both communities, Lot's and Uncle Abraham's, the shepherds are now fighting. And it's a mess. It's a family mess. And so magnanimous Uncle Abraham, you know the story, magnanimous Uncle Abraham one day knocks on the tent flap of Lot. Uncle Abraham, come in, sit down. Can I get you anything? No, 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 Lot, 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 Lot. You know, I've just been thinking, this, this is incredible. We are family. We're family. And here we are behaving this way. You know, I've been brooding on this. We're, we're, we're going to have to separate. There's just no question. And so I have a suggestion that that would have been the perfect moment for Lot. Whoa, time out, Uncle Abraham. Time out. Uncle Abraham, let me tell you something. I understand. God has given you the whole land. You took me in when my dad died. You've been like a father to me. Tell you what, Uncle Abraham, you go out, look over the whole land. You pick what would, be, what would be best for you. Whatever you have left, just give me a little corner. We'll be happy. My community to live in that corner. Is that, is that what Lot does? You kidding? He's like a third millennial. Everything's me, 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 me. No respect for elders. No gratitude. Yeah, let's go. Cut it up. I came across this piece by Mira Ribbon that strikes a nerve. This is from opednews.com. Put it on the screen for you. In a world of rights and entitlements. Isn't this the way we live today? In a world of rights and entitlements, many just feel everything is owed or due them. They got everything they got because they deserve it. So no need to thank anyone. Is the loss of common courtesy the tip of the iceberg? A symptom of a far greater loss of humanity? At what point have a great many decided life is more expedient if we eliminate the simple aspects of respect? We don't need it. James Krivitz, writing for the Washington Post, agrees. Her, her blog goes on. In a world that revolves around communication, it seems that our respect for the tradition of using good manners has fallen into one of our many dens of iniquity. The vast majority of people live as if, well, as if their little world is the be-all and end-all of humankind, end quote. Sad, isn't it? I mean, it's sad. Come on. Lot. What were you thinking? We never would have had Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot if, if he had said, no, no, you go ahead, Uncle Abraham. You go first. What's up with this? Yeah, I go first. No thanks. What a tragic story. I imagine Uncle Abraham might have even paused to say, you know, maybe, Lot, you have an idea. Nothing. So what happens? Lot moves out to Las Vegas. And a few days later, God shows up bleak, barren Canaan, beside his dear friend Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want to tell you something. Take a look at this land. I don't care what Lot chose. You're going to get it all anyway. Fire comes down. Sodom and Gomorrah are gone. Do you know what Lot ends up with? Do you know what Lot ends up with? One measly little cave and no family left. Lost his entire family. What does, a what does Uncle Abraham end up with? The entire planet. We're all children of Abraham today, aren't we? Isn't that something? Magnanimous, unselfish Uncle Abraham. And what does he do? Look at the last line of chapter 13. We end with this. The last line, so Abraham picked up his tent and went and settled by the oaks of Mamre in Hebron. And there he built an altar, another rock pile, another rock pile to the Lord. Amazing. I don't care which way my life twists and turns. God! is still the rock of my life.
and those rock piles keep growing. So what's the secret of the rock pile? I'll give it to you plain and simple. This is it. If God is first, if you make God first, He will make it last. That's the secret of the rock pile. If you make God first, He will make it last. You make Him first in your family? Any relationship you have, you make Him first in that relationship. He will make it last. How did Jesus put it? Matthew, Look at this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 33. Write it down. Seek first. Every day when you gather your little family before racing to the school bus, every day seek first. Every day seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else you need will be added to you. If you make me first... I will make it last and last and last. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a no-brainer to me that starting today, rock piles appear across this community, including your home and mine. In your worship bulletin is a little card that we call the Connect card. Would you take it out in closing here? This little card... Pastor Michael's already talked about it. Pastor Jose talked about it. I want to draw your attention not to the front of the card, Genesis of Love, but if you turn the card around, I'd like to draw your attention to what it says. It says, my next step today. Because you can't hear a teaching like this and just say, oh, well, that was great. Hey, I hope it's, hope it's something worth remembering next week. No, 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 no. Come on, we have to take a next step together. So this card is about the next step. Would you read it? Here are three next steps we could take. Number one, I would like to make seeking God daily the first priority of my household. What I would like to do is make this the first priority of my household. Husband and wife are here. You both can fill the card out. It's a a commitment that you make. You're not making it to me. You're making it to God. I want to make seeking God the first priority of my household. Here's number two. I choose to build a family altar in my home. I want to build one. I don't care if you didn't have one yesterday. That's immaterial. Nobody's asking. Nobody cares. It's the journey now to the promised land that counts. I choose to build a family altar in my home. And then here's number three. I would like a family worship brochure to help lead my children to Christ, to help me do it. Now, I'm going to need your address for that. If you'll put your address on the front, only with your address. Email we need for any other response. But this one, it won't work with an email. You have to, if you want the brochure, put your address on the front. Please make it legible. And within 48 hours, we'll get something to you. We'll get it moving to you. We'll have to mail this the old-fashioned way. But I'd love for you to have that brochure. You got children in your home? You got ch- you're going to have children one day? You got grandchildren? Come on. You, sh- you and your wife share the same house? Come on. You live all alone? We can all build a pile of rocks, a family altar today. And you know, we watched, we witnessed some beautiful baptisms in both services today, seven individuals. Some of you are saying, you know, I I suppose if I'm going to build a family altar, I need to build my life first on the rock of Christ Jesus. If you've never accepted Jesus... Take this card and just put, I'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus. 
Give us the email address. We'll send you a little packet of instructions how you can grow your friendship with Jesus. If you'd like to be baptized, you've never been baptized, it'll take as long as you want to take. But why don't you make the decision? Some of our baptisms today, they made the decision on the Connect card. We just began these cards at the end of February. You can make a decision. Nobody's going to rush you, but we want to start praying and journeying with you. Just put a check mark there. I would like information on baptism. In a moment, the deacons are going to receive our morning tithes and offerings and our Connect cards. Freely we have received from God. Surely we can freely give. And then when they've received them, we'll have our benediction together. But I'd like to pray right now. Would you, would you bow your head with me? Let's pray right now before the ushers come our way. Dear God, just a little rock pile, but how symbolic it is. Abraham and Sarah and the great patriarchs and matriarchs of our faith. That was their secret. If we make you first, you will make it last. And so I pray for every family, for every heart, for every household here right now. Do whatever it takes. Secure that household with a, with a family altar. And as we seek first your kingdom, bring everything else that we need. We, we gladly return these Connect cards and our morning tithes and offerings to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.